Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. If you have your Bibles, if you will take those and turn, if you will please, to John's 11th chapter. I'm going to read briefly and now here on Resurrection Sunday of two different resurrections. One is the resurrection of Lazarus and the other is, of course, the resurrection of the Christ. So as you know, um, let me just give you the backstory. Jesus hears that Lazarus is ill. He delays. Lazarus dies. And he is four days in the grave by the time Jesus arrives. And now Martha one of Lazarus' sisters comes out to meet Jesus and that's where the encounter begins. I'm gonna begin reading in the 11th chapter of John, the 20th verse. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet Jesus, but Mary was sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. And Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Now turn back to the gospel as Luke records it the 24th chapter, and now we're dealing with the resurrection of the Christ. I want to read the first eight verses of the 24th chapter. Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, that is this group of women who were coming after the crucifixion to prepare the body, they they didn't have time to prepare the body for burial because according to Jewish law, the body has to be buried before sundown. And so they just sort of wrapped Jesus' corpse, laid it in the tomb, and then now they wait until Shabbat is over. Now it's the first day of the week, which is Sunday, and they've gone back to the tomb to to now prepare the body properly according to, to their law. Let me just begin again. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, these women, came under the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. So we must assume they are angels. Two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, these men said unto the women, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, and now these two angels quote Jesus. The son of man must be, delivered and must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. If you will, place your hand on your Bible and let's pray together. Vamos a Padre bendito celestial. Te damos gracias por tu presencia con nosotros en esta mañana, porque te necesitamos mucho. Te glorificamos. 
Gracias por tu amor precioso. Ayúdame, por favor. Lléname con tu Espíritu Santo y úsame a su gloria si es posible. Y por favor, glorifica tu nombre en este mensaje. Lord, we praise you. We worship you. We thank you for your presence with us and in us. We pray now that you would brush aside every barrier to divine communication. Linguistic, cultural, generational, rushing over the threshold of our souls. And speak to us by your might in the inner person that when we leave here today, we will say one to another, surely the Lord has spoken unto us. In Jesus' mighty name, the strong son of God, amen. Amen and amen. I, uh, I've spent more than 50 years studying the discipline of communication. I'm fascinated by it. What makes it work? When it works, why does it work? When it fails, what went wrong? In, in writing, in writing books, in radio, television, mass media, in linguistics, in preaching, in teaching, what, what is the secret of communication? I know that you're thinking to yourselves, if he spent 50 years studying communication, it seems like he'd be better at it. But you don't know how bad I might have been. Were one to boil the discipline of communication for a thousand years, I'm convinced that the creme de sens that would rise to the top would actually be only four things. The right message to the right party in the right way at the right time. The right message to the right party in the right way at the right time. If you get any of those four variables wrong, it can all go wrong, really wrong, really fast. You may think that you are transmitting clearly, but the message that you transmit may not be the message that's received. And the reaction may not be the one you thought you were gonna get. Every married man in the room knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. I heard about a married couple uh, in Vancouver. They were going down to San Diego for vacation. At the last minute, the wife had to stay behind for a meeting at her place of work. So the husband went on to San Diego. And when he checked in his room, he decided to email her at her work, but he realized he didn't have her work email in his contacts, but he thought he could remember it or come close, so he just sent it. How many of you know with email, close is like, no good. <laughs> so she didn't receive the email. It went instead to an elderly woman, the recently widowed wife of a Pentecostal minister. The man had just died the previous week. She got this email, and when he came up on her computer, she just fainted. Her grown children came in and found her body unconscious in the floor, and this message was on the screen. Dearest wife, just got checked in. I'm awaiting your arrival. Tomorrow. P.S. Sure is hot down here. You can think that you're transmitting clearly, but the result may not be what you're after. We can have trouble communicating culturally, linguistically, generationally. One, one of the challenges, I see so many young people here this morning, you, you may or may not realize this, but language changes so fast 
That it, and, and because of technology, it's actually evolving or I prefer to say devolving faster and faster all the time. And, and words that you use now, I prophesy to you, if you should live to be as old as I am, the words will still exist, but they may not mean at all what they did when you were young. I wonder if there's anybody here old enough to remember when gay meant happy. Remember, I, I want gay back. When I was a kid, gay was about disposition. It wasn't about orientation. We used to sing, remember Christmas, don we now our gay apparel? That didn't mean Christmas in drag. I was preaching to a high school audience not too long ago and hundreds and hundreds of high school kids. And I don't know when I've ever preached to an audience that was so enthused. They were just with me. And afterward, I was talking to a group of boys up front and they came, they said, wow, that was great. The first boy said, Dr. Mark, you are one bad preacher. In my lifetime, bad has come to mean good. The second boy said, you are not just a bad preacher. He's, she, he said, you're the baddest preacher I've ever heard. <laughs> baddest is not even a word in the English language. <laughs> the third boy said, you're not just bad. He said, you are one sick dude. <laughs> one can only sense my level of personal affirmation. I remember early on in my ministry setting a sort of a life goal of becoming a really sick dude. <laughs> the fourth boy was not content with these low altitude compliments. He said, you are not bad. You are not sick. He said, you are the OG of crunk. I have no clue. <laughs> I was so confused by it. I teach the National Institute of Christian Leadership and some years ago, a young man came through who now pastors a hip hop church, whatever that is. And so I decided that if anybody would know what the OG of Crunk was, it would be Tommy. I called him and I said, Tommy, if somebody told me I was the OG of Crunk, what would that mean? Oh, he said, OG means original gangster. <laughs> so I said, he told me I'm the original gangster of Crunk. He said, that's right. I said, no, Tommy, you see, what I'm trying to get at here is what does it mean? Oh, he said, I'm sorry. He said, it means you be the Mac Daddy. <laughs> I said, no, see, Tommy, what I'm after is like a, a definition. What, what is he saying? He said, Dr. Mark, I'm trying to explain it to you. He said, it means you be off the chain. <laughs> I just decided to leave it alone. Now, if that can happen to us linguistically, generationally, even in marriage, I have now decided, been married to 53 years. My wife and I got married when I was only one year old. And, and I now have decided that we don't even speak the same, men and women don't speak the same language. They use the same words. They, Male and female are not just genders, they're different languages. So marriage is a cross-cultural, interlinguistic missionary experience. <laughs> if that is true of us, what is God's challenge in communication? 
Now, I know what you're thinking. God has no challenges. Yes, he does. It's us. The transmitter is perfect. The message is perfect. The receivers are all broken. Every message that we receive from God, we receive through the clouded filter of our own fallen humanity. God is trying to constantly communicate with us and has been since the creation and every message we receive has to be pushed through that, that filter of the fact that we don't speak God's native language. Now, what is, what is God's native language? When God said, let us make man in our own image, he was speaking inside the enclosed society of the triune Godhead, the God, the Father, speaking by the Holy Spirit through the Son to himself within himself. Let us make man in our own image. What language was he speaking? He wasn't speaking Spanish, la lengua celestial. Uh, he, was, he wasn't speaking English. My friend Doran Heiliger says, he's, he lives in Jerusalem, he says it was Hebrew, wasn't even Hebrew. What is the native language of God? It's God. When God thinks within himself, his language is himself. God thinks in God. So therefore, every message to us has to be, has to be transposed from God into a vast multiplicity of human languages and generations. So therefore, the problem of God communication is that he is communicating with us. The whole Bible can be understood as the problem of divine communication. When Adam and God walked together and talked together in the cool of the evening, there was no problem because Adam spoke God. But once they were expelled from the Garden of Eden and then subsequently to that, the, the Tower of Babel, man could no longer hear and think in God. We couldn't even talk to each other. So then came the prophets, then came Jesus himself. How does John put it at the beginning of the gospel of John? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, you could say the divine communication assumed fleshly form so that we could see what the word looked like and understand. The problem was that the incarnation, Jesus in flesh, was the answer of the communication gap, it was also the problem because Jesus now as a human is speaking to other humans in human, but he is thinking in God. So Jesus is thinking in cosmic transcendent God and he's trying to put those thoughts onto the boxcars of human language and the boxcars are not sufficient to carry the weight. So there's constant misunderstanding between Jesus. In his entire ministry, every room Jesus leaves, everybody in the room is asking, who was that guy and what was he talking about? It begins even when he's a child. You remember the story of his bar mitzvah in Jerusalem when they leave him behind. They think he's in the caravan going back to Nazareth and they realize he's not with them. They turn around and go back to Jerusalem and find him in the temple talking with the elders. And it says Mary and Joseph were wroth with him. They were angry. They said, you frightened us. We thought you were with us. Where were you? 
And Jesus says, knew ye not, I must be about my father's business. A simple question. Knew ye not, I must be about my father's business. The next verse is a brilliant burst of biblical understatement. It says, and they knew not that which he spoke. Why not? Why not? Because he's using all those words at two different levels at the same time. Knew ye not? Knew? He says, I know that you know stuff. I know you know stuff, but don't you know anything? Do you just live at the level of stuff you know? Don't you know anything? Knew ye not that I must be about my father's business? Joseph's my father, but he's not my father. He's just my father. I have a father. And he has a business. Well, Joseph has a business, but it's just a business. My father, who is not my father, is actually my father who has a business that's not a business. And they knew not that which he spoke. It's throughout his entire ministry. The actual story of Jesus' earthly ministry is the story of the complication of communication. Sometimes it's absolutely a riot. Maybe, maybe you don't think this stuff is funny. I think it's a scream. At one point, Jesus is speaking in a house filled with Jewish people. It's packed. Philip and Andrew come to him and say, there are two Gentiles at the door and they want to come in and meet you because should we bring them in? And here's Jesus' answer. This is his answer. He says, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bring forth a great harvest. But if it falleth into the ground and dieth, it bringeth forth a great harvest. That's his answer. I can just see Philip and Andrew as they leave saying, do you think he meant like yes or no? Because they're thinking of those two Gentiles getting into this room. But Jesus is thinking, as long as I am confined to the seed pod of this human body, how big of a building can we build? We can't build a building big enough to get all the Gentiles in. But if I will go into the ground, I will be raised up into the worldwide body of the church so that we can bring all the Gentiles into the commonwealth of Israel. But Philip and Andrew are thinking of that room, seeds, and Gentiles. Even to the book of Revelation, we struggle with it. If John the Revelator were here and we said to him, you mean we can walk the streets of heaven and pick up gold? We can pick up gold? I think John would say, not gold, gold. Don't think about gold. Gold is nothing. Think gold. It's what preachers struggle with all the time. It's, we're trying, don't you understand? Preaching, preaching is beyond our capacity. Preaching is just dirt talking to dirt about God. And we, we have to find ways to say things. So we talk about, for example, when somebody dies going up to heaven. Right? I say it. I reserve the right to say it again. I hope somebody will say it at my funeral. Well, old Dr. Mark died and he's gone up to heaven. But what does that even mean? Up to heaven. If heaven is straight up from Irvine, it's straight down from Sydney. So if you have the misfortune to die down under, you have to circle the globe before you can go to heaven. Why? Because heaven is not up geographically, it's up dimensionally. 
Heaven is higher, more wonderful, more glorious, more marvelous than anything that we've ever experienced or known down here. Heaven is not up, it's up. Same thing is true with hell. We talk about people going down to hell or descending into hell. If we suck a drill bit right here and drill straight down, how long till we pop out in hell? We don't pop out in hell, we pop out in Mumbai. So we're trying to communicate things that defy the capacity of human words to communicate them. This all comes down to the great communication issue of the resurrection. What is the resurrection communicating to us? Certainly, Jesus' personal conquest over death. Yes, Jesus has defeated death. The grave could not hold him. We celebrate that. That is the the essence of the historical Sunday that we call Easter Sunday. But is that that the full message? Think, Think about the resurrection of Lazarus for a minute. When Jesus arrives late, Martha is angry with him. You can hear it in her voice. She says, if you had gotten here on time, my brother would still be alive. Then she's going to put the B on him. She says, however, since you came late, even now, I know if you ask God, God would do what you want. And Jesus says, do you believe your brother will rise again? She says, yes, I believe he'll rise again in the resurrection. But she said, I want to see him right now. I want him right now. I believe he'll rise again in the resurrection. Listen to what Jesus says. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Therefore, Easter is not simply about the historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead, which he did. It is the communication of God usward that Jesus Christ is the power of resurrection at work in this earth, in us, through us, right now, right this minute. Okay, I spent 16 years as the president of two different universities and you spend your life surrounded by young people. I know, I love the little brats. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean our beloved students. I, I, I love them, but young people all think they're bulletproof. They not only think they're gonna live forever, they think they're gonna live forever young. They look at old dudes like me and say, my God, what happened to him? (laughs) It doesn't dawn on them. How how old are you, son? How old? 29, perfect. (laughs) Look right up here, sport. It's Easter Sunday all over the world. Preachers are preaching good news, good news. I've come to you with really bad news. I am your future. If you live long enough, sooner or later, as you are, so once was I. As I am, you soon will be. You see, in these human bodies, from the moment we are born, death is at work within us. This is just so hard for young people to believe that death is at work within our bodies. From the moment you're born, you begin to die. 
But Jesus says, if I am within you, the power of life is also within you. But the problem is communication. Does he mean life or does he mean life? Remember this, remember here's another one of the miscommunications. Jesus says, we've had 2000 years to work with this, but imagine hearing this for the first time. Remember Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's gonna work. (laughs) Sounds like a Stephen King novel, doesn't it? The night the dead buried the dead. The problem is he's using dead at two different levels. He said, look, these people are physically dead. These other people are spiritually dead. Let the dead people bury the dead people. You're alive. You don't need to be messing around with death. You're alive. He said, I have come to bring them life and that more eternal. But he was saying that. Here's the challenge, you see. He was saying that to people that were alive. I've come to bring you life. And they're saying, yeah, well, see, I'm like alive. And Jesus says, no, you're not. What you are is just alive. I'm going to make you alive. As long as the resurrection power of Christ is at work within us. Now listen to this. When the resurrection power of Christ, his life is within us as the hammer blows of history and aging fall upon this human veil. And gradually we move closer and closer and closer to the physical threshold we call death. If the power of his resurrection life is within us, as we get closer to that moment, that this body is actually giving way to life. So this is the contradiction. People who think they are alive, may, they may give up their life and step over into death. But people who are alive in him and through him and by his resurrection power, they get closer to the same moment called death and they step over into life. I went to pastor my very first church when I was 22 years old. A 22 year old boy should not be given a driver's license, let alone a church. I knew, I knew nothing. I'd never, one thing I'd never, I'd never been with anybody who was dying. And there was an old man in my church, Charlie Wheeler, a great man, a Christian, wonderful man. And his passage from life to death was long and strenuous and it was exhausting his family. And so one night I just said to his family, go on home. I'll sit with Mr. Charlie all night and if anything happens, we'll call you. And they went home and I sat in the room with Charlie in a coma, unconscious tubes down his nose and all those things, you know, that go with that and he's lying there. Suddenly he began to make a strange noise in his throat. I called the night nurse and I said, "I, I think he's dying. She said, he's dying, pastor. I'll call the family. And she went out. I was sitting there by the bed and all of a sudden, Mr. Charlie sat straight up in the bed, nearly scared the liver out of me. He just sat straight up in the bed and he looked at a blank hospital wall and he said, oh, beautiful. And he lay down and died. Charlie looked through from life to life. He looked through death into eternity. If the power of life within you 
is greater than the power of death within you, then you have absolutely nothing to fear about the reality that we call human death. Do you see what that means? You see it, don't you? It means that Easter Sunday is simply the Sunday that we celebrate the physical resurrection of Christ. But the message of that is that if you have Christ within you, you also have his life within you. So, so we use this term, these terms in evangelical Christianity. You've heard, you've all heard them. Have you received Christ as your savior? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you been saved? Here's a different way. Listen to this language instead. Do you have the life of Christ within you? I have come that they might have life. I've come that they might have life. Have you ever said, Lord Jesus, I receive your life. Your life, breathe your life into me that irrespective of what happens in life, I have life. That regardless of what happens in death, I do not have death, I have life. Give me your life in my life. As they say, that changes everything. In his great book, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, who was at Auschwitz, who was uh, confined at Auschwitz, he was a physician. And they, they made him uh, work as a doctor in the concentration camp while he himself was at the point of death, starving to death. He's ministering to people that are dying with typhus. He said one woman lay in her, her mat and the only thing she could see out the window was a branch of a window with some, uh, a branch of a tree outside the window with some blossoms on it. Not the whole tree, just a, a portion of a branch with some blossoms on it. And she told Dr. Frankel, she said, he said, I'm sorry you're all alone at this moment. She said, I'm not alone. That tree is my friend. And she said, I speak to that tree every day. And he said to her, does the tree speak back to you? And she said, oh yes, look at those blossoms. The tree speaks to me of life. When you receive the life of God, everything speaks of life. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.